On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Lisa Tadeo is the author of the genre-bending nonfiction phenomenon, Three Women, which hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list before taking up residence there. Her work has been published in the New York Times, Esquire, Elle, Glamour, and more, and her short stories have won two pushcart prizes. Her debut novel, Animal, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Lisa. We are so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we started recording, Lisa was making us feel better about interviewing her and being so excited. But we want to know, how are you doing? You had said when Three Women came out that you expected a quiet book and Mm -hmm. that the reception was far more than you ever expected. Now, you could not have thought the same for Animal. It's just come out, so I don't really know. Because I'm talking to people all day long and because everything's been mostly virtual I made it a point to go to our local bookstore to see it and feel the the physical presence of being with the book because it's hard when you're doing a lot of press and stuff and everyone else on your team knows about how your book is being published but you kind of don't or at least that's been my experience especially right now yeah when we're not out there seeing the crowds and super weird it's a weird (laughs) it's a weird half world of yeah it's it's very bizarre it is I can imagine that so you're so you seem to be taking it in stride yeah I have one thing right after another almost so it's so like this Mm -hmm. that I don't even I kind of just like I just forgot I forgot to eat lunch and not and I'm always hungry so like it's that's like saying a lot it's like some people are like I forgot to eat and it's like (laughs) oh yeah whatever I like me forgetting to eat is like this mind-blowing thing (laughs) it's like how does that happen that's yeah. me. If that happens, I there's something very exactly. Wrong, or exactly. there's a lot happening. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, this book is a very natural continuation from Three Women because Animal explores many of the same themes, specifically mm-hmm. looking at the mistress point of view, mother-daughter mm-hmm. issues, and the coupling of desire and trauma. But Animal pushes them all a lot farther. We're going to talk about I hope a few of those things. But first, we want to talk about Joan. Yeah, depraved Joan. (laughs) Joan, you know, we're meeting her at a point in her life or or maybe a context in in her storytelling where she really has zero fucks to give for pretenses. Some people will call her unlikable. On this show, we analyze a lot of so-called unlikable female protagonists. It's our mission on here to dig into what people, ourselves included, mean when we say a woman is unlikable or a character is unlikable. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this, which maybe you considered in in crafting Joan. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny. The whole idea of the unlikable narrator is so, it's such a thing. It's like, mm. you know, and I knew that. And and all of my narrators, for for the most part, have, could be called unlikable. And I was like, oh, what does that say about me? You know, but for me, I really like telling honest, honest stories. And what was important to me with Joan was that she say everything that she wanted to say, as you guys said, you know, earlier, having zero fucks to give and abandoning all pretense. That was really important to me. And I wanted every next thing that came out of Joan's mouth to basically be a truth about herself. And I didn't want to have that distance where you kind of hold the reader at arm's length the way that you would with someone's like, you know, with like a mother-in-law or, you know, some mm. boyfriend's mom that you're meeting. I didn't want that to be the feeling. I wanted it to be like, I am talking not to some distant person, but to some person who, you know, I mean, we find out later who she ends up talking to. But if you're talking to that person sometimes when I'm with my daughter for example I will she's six years old and and sometimes I'm like I'm trying to be like someone that I'm not around her and then I'm like whoa I'm gonna be with this kid for a long time so I probably need to cut the shit and just start being myself you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's just and when I do that I have a better time Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not great but really when I like just talk to her I I might say things that I wouldn't say if I were trying to be the best mommy in the world but I think it's going to come through in a more authentic way and we'll have more of a connection so that's what I want with a reader I've been in in times of loss in times of severe of of just everything going wrong you don't have time to you just say the straight stuff and it's like whether people like you or not that is it is what it is and that is something that was really important to me I wanted her to be exactly her just everything inside that I wanted I wanted the reader to be right there with her yeah and you can tell because when she's telling stories about things that have happened in the past you can tell where she's put her face on and where she's yeah portrayed something that she wasn't really feeling or thinking or do or wanted to do and she had to do it anyway so she's just being honest about those moments I think it's a good thing I mean, we, we obviously yeah. think it's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. so three women looked at women who are very different in many ways, but each of them were the other woman. Mistresses are typically portrayed as either like really passionate, in love, like this is it, so I can't let it go, or on the other point of view, they are the homewreckers that are ruining a marriage. But neither are really complete stories. So in in both Three Women and An Animal, you chose to highlight the loneliness of the mistress, which is just a point of view I don't think we've ever really seen. We had the isolation of Maggie for not being believed, Lena waiting for any kind of contact from Aiden, Sloane was ostracized from the other wives who judged her arrangement, and Joan really gives us the depth of her loneliness in such surprising and like visceral ways. Two lines stand out to me when she's waiting for Big Sky to come over and get his gear the next day and she's mm-hmm. dressed up like some movie version of, of what sexy <laughs> is supposed to be and she mm-hmm. knows it's not right but she can't stop herself it's too late there's momentum mm-hmm. and also like this is what she had in her head and then there's this line that says the sound of my heels was the sound of loneliness and then Vic she says I wasn't using him to nefarious ends 
I was just afraid to be alone. I was looking for fathers in every train car. So, I mean, obviously you're not afraid to look at loneliness. I think that's something most people are really afraid to look at. I mean, it's why we seek love and sometimes if that completely backfires on us, but you're not afraid to look at it. I love that. Is it something you're drawn to in other people too? Or? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I'm, I'm drawn to it because I think it's one of our biggest sort of, it's, it's something that we are afraid to talk about because it's, it's the most vulnerable thing to say that you need something more to say that you in whatever version of your life, whether you are coupled or not coupled or whatever it is, to say that you're lonely is like, it's like laying bare your soul and and saying nobody likes me. You know, that's Mm -hmm. kind of like, and, and you almost feel like if you say you're lonely, then you won't attract people because they're like, who wants to go into that lonely hole? And so I'm interested in it in all of us. I think we all feel lonely at various times in our lives. I think we go through intense, lonely periods. You know, I think for me, and it's something that I saw in so many of my friends and something I see in a lot of young women, I think there's such a a terrible loneliness that can happen to a woman in her 20s when she's single. Because it's kind of a very weird decade. You know, you're kind of like, you're you're just getting out of college and like the, the sort of the social dynamics between men and women kind of changes so I think it's really hard so for me having spoken to so many people for whom it's not this decade of like of of of, of abandon and ba- exactly yeah. it's like it, it's it can be really dark and and that darkness is something I had seen so much of it in three women and in people that I know in my own 20s and early 30s even though you know even I, I I think, was I married? I I don't know what what year I got married. (laughs) I just think that there's a certain kind of loneliness that comes when you are supposed to be having all this fun Mm -hmm. and you're not. And, and, And other people don't know how dark it might be for you. And so I was interested in exploring that, that, that sort of the depths of that. Yeah, I think it really jumps out in this book. And to me, I don't know, I was having a lot of fun when I was 20, in my 20s. But at the same time, I was also feeling a real depth of that loneliness. So I think it can even coexist like oh, yeah. from day to day, right? Yeah. It's, totally. it's not even like one phase or the other. It's like they were bedfellows for me. You were recently called the preeminent channeler of women's interior lives, <laughs> which is undeniably true. But I have to tell you, when I think of a writer who is the preeminent channeler of women's interior lives, I think of a book where nothing happens, for better or for worse. That is very much not the case with Animal. In fact, people might say too much happens. A lot <laughs> happens in this book. It's like you knew that critique was coming. And on page 38, you have Joan say, I have to tell you that terrible things always happen around me. I was marked at 10. People don't want to know that many bad things can happen to one person or around one person. A bad thing happens and coworkers circle your cubicle, they're grating palms on your shoulders. Another bad thing happens and you're no longer someone whom they could try out their munificence. You're a squashed pack of merits on the highway. Oh boy. I mean, that just rang very, very true. I think that's how it happens in real life, especially when you're talking about, like in Joan's case, an incident of sexual trauma in, in childhood it's left unresolved. We just get more. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's my question. Do you believe that? Because yeah. 
I also <laughs> raised by an Italian mother and magical thinking is just part of my yep. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, like uh-huh. my foundation. So I'm like, I don't know, do people believe this? Because I do. I do believe that it's not so much like a magnet, but it becomes a cycle of yeah. that you don't know how to resolve. Yeah, I, I do. You know, I think that not necessarily in every case, if it happens once, it's going to keep happening. No, but it is, it's something that I saw with, with three women. It's one of the main, one of the trends that I saw was this, this one trauma would just kind of grow into a, a many headed monster. And in terms of a lot of things happening in the book, it's funny when we talk to people at length when you talk to someone for hours and weeks months you know whatever you and and you're just asking them questions when you're interviewing somebody about their lives for a book whatever you get right to it and and there's a lot of shit that has especially when you're you know over 30 over 35 whatever the, the every year that you accumulate you know, is another chance for something to happen to you. More shit. Not, <laughs> not necessarily, exactly, not necessarily yeah. bad, but, you know, often there, the thing is, we could have gone to the pool a, a thousand times. We go one time to a, a public pool, let's say, and, and you know, we see uh, someone pee in the water. That, that, that then becomes our entire memory of the pool. Yeah. You know, so and that's the thing. It's like those those things often just sit with us so much heavier. So for me with Joan, I, I was very I was like, here are all the things that happened to this person. Many of these things are true things that I saw happen to other people and not all taken together, like all the worst things of each thing. But people do suffer the same the same line of of assault or just the, the things that assault our memories, in a sense, yeah. the things that really sit with us. And Joan has something awful happen when she's young, and then every single thing in her life, and it's not, but that's the thing, it's not just a thing that happens. It's what, it's what, it's her relationship with her mom, it's her relationship with her dad, it's their relationship with each other. Those things are so, so alchemical, almost on their own, that when you add one fire to it then everything just burns forever oh that is that is actually a very good transition you mentioned her relationship with her mother and her father and you know I think obviously the brilliance of this book is that it touches on so many facets of the human experience through the particular lens of this woman female rage grief trauma violence but for me, the one thread that really like pulled the hardest and touched me the most personally was the exploration of the parent-child relationship and how we are all just so deeply affected by those relationships. And Joan says about her father on page 111, in terms of his being a father, I know I am biased, but I can't imagine a man loving his daughter more than he loved me. Whenever I walked into the ocean, even just a few feet in, every time I turned around, I could count on him to be propped up on his elbows, watching. He had a smile on his face, but really, he was just waiting to save me. And I so related to that passage because it's exactly how I felt about my own father. And I lost him. This is why I can't get through this question. Um, No, no, no. no. No, so I lost him seven years ago to ALS, and and I have my mother still, but as you excruciatingly demonstrate through Joan, 
the mother-daughter relationship is complicated and fraught and Joan has such a yearning you know to be close to her mother like at one point you know she cries out for her and and you write but my voice didn't seem to reach her my need was so primal so simple and her interior was so complex. And so we talk a lot about mommy issues mm-hmm. on this podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I often wonder, you know, just personally, why it feels so hard to access my mother. And something that I never felt with my father. And yeah. I feel like maybe you gave me the answer uh, <laughs> in Animal. So on page 290, when she's ta- Joan's talking about her mother, and she says, part of my child brain hated her because she wasn't young enough or even beautiful enough, because she wasn't strong enough, or because she was too strong, because she was so complex where my father was not. I hate my mother, in short, for being a woman. I just thought, oh my gosh, is that it? Like, I, I need to ask you, like, is is that it, do you think? I mean, I would just love to hear more about, you know, why you wanted to explore motherhood in this this parent-child relationship and and maybe what you learned while rooting around in these wounds that you're writing from and and I'll tell you as a reader it really obviously opened up some very relatable wounds for me well I am so sorry about your dad oh well thank you yeah I mean it's it's it sucks whenever for whatever reason it's the fucking worst but um but (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's it's funny I I think that you know I had always heard the term daddy issues my whole life I'd never really growing up heard the term mommy issues I didn't feel like I had daddy issues you know I mean I I really had no sort of, and I think my husband wishes I had more daddy issues. Yeah. I kind of just like bust through everything. I just like, I'm not trying to take care of a man, you know? Yeah. But I do try to take care of women because I do have mommy issues. So every like new female friend I have, you know, like whatever, I'm always just like, oh God, is she happy right now? Is she okay? Does she like me? Whereas with men, I'm like, whatever, fuck you, you know, yeah. go build that, do this. You can't have kids anyway. Make yourself useful, tech support. Oh um, my God, that's but- awesome. <laughs> yes. But but with women, yeah, I'm like, you know, my my mom is not is was not weird. I, I don't know how that happened for a second. But yeah. my mom was yeah. was very similar to Joan's mom in, in you know, the the Italianness of it all was something that is is so interesting to me because I think there's such a giant difference between you know, I was raised in the U.S., but by a, a mom who was basically isolated from American culture almost completely. So it was like growing up in this weird vacuum. And I, so I got to see the way that everybody else's childhood was, like, all my friends felt like they had normal parents. And my mom felt like, she just felt like she had come out of some movie that nobody I knew understood. So yeah. I was really important for me to explore the culture shift of that but also when it comes to mommy issues yeah I did you know Joan's relationship with her mother is much it it, her mother is much colder and and but I think it's it's probably an exaggerated version of some of some of the things that I did feel because I just felt like my mother was not as a woman there was just more complexity more inaccessibility more stuff that she was afraid to share even with me kind of a Mm -hmm. thing Whereas my dad didn't, as a man, as someone who was very confident in himself and, 
you know, and, 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 and who he was in the world, he walked through the world without really second guessing anything. Whereas my mom was like hiding in the basement when the doorbell rang. So I find the mother daughter dynamic to be so interesting because of my own, because of the women that I talked to for three women, just so many things. I, and I just, and I often find myself more drawn to women with mommy issues than not. Yeah. This Corinne, this explains why we get along. <laughs> I have to go back to grief. So that's cool. Like, I listen. It's no. where I live. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, obviously, that was a very relatable aspect of the book for me, as as I mentioned a little bit before. But it wasn't just your depiction of grief. It was it was really the anger that flows from mm -hmm. that. I know you lost your father in a car accident when you were twenty three, and then your mother. To cancer. I heard you say in your chat with Gillian Flynn the other night that you felt like you've been bitten by a tiger. That yeah. like that that's what it felt like when you lost them. And I thought that imagery was so spot on that with death and grief, it, it really does feel as if you've been ripped open and you're yeah. by a ferocious animal and you're bleeding out. I mean, yeah. I, when you said that, I was like, yes. Like, why don't people say that? Like, and you know, I think people or society has sympathy of course for people who are grieving but I think only if you do so in a way that they find yep. socially acceptable exactly. right so I mean Joan is in tremendous pain not just from her grief obviously mm -hmm. all the other trauma as well and that brings her to a breaking point and you know on on page 294 I love this Joan says you must remember that most people don't like to hear when bad things happen they can tolerate only a little here and there. The bad things must be comestible. If there are too many bad things, they plug their ears and vilify the victim. But a hundred very bad things happen to me. Am I supposed to be quiet? Bear my pain like a good girl? Or shall I be very bad and take it out on the world? Either way, I won't be loved. Mm. And do you think, you know, that's unique to women that I understand generally that we're saying society likes people to grieve in a certain way. But if a, but if a woman takes that pain, that grief and turns it to rage or anger, mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. is much less acceptable than what a man much does. Less. I mean, think about every single like movie where you know like Liam every Liam Neeson movie you know yeah. where he loses mm -hmm. someone a kid or whatever and then he just like becomes a killer and everyone's like yeah John Wick <laughs> yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. a woman does that stuff and it's like whoa take it easy go to therapy chill out <laughs> it's crazy to me and and I think the people that 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 want you to sit in that sort of zone the most are other women frankly yes. and that's what I've felt so much that there's so many other women who, who even with three women who were like what what these ladies are slut i mean there is so much female vituperative misogyny, misogyny mm -hmm. that is so wild it is so wild to see someone doing it in the i mean and sometimes like one of the, some of the best things for me have been with people have been like i started feeling this way and then I was like oh my god that was my internal misogyny yeah. you know and I do it to, and we all do it we and, and it's not a crime we have been 
conditioned to Mm -hmm. do it. I don't know how you feel about this, but for example, Peter Pan, I was reading it to my daughter the other day and like I ping or actually no this was more than another day because I've like I've there's like a no Peter Pan in my house policy (laughs) he's like oh Tiger Lily you wait here while I go tell Tinkerbell and Wendy and he's got all and the mermaids and the lagoon and they're all fucking like waiting for Peter Pan to like shine Mm -hmm. his like stupid boy and he he can't grow up and he doesn't have a job (laughs) you know and I'm like why am I reading this to my daughter like I like threw it across the room and I'm like we're done with with Peter Pan it is you know antiquated and it's fine but we keep we just keep perpetuating that that idea that women should be in supporting roles and that women should when even now we are at one of our pinnacles in in female ascension and all that but we're still doing that backbiting to one another and we're still internalizing the misogyny. We're we're telling men to shut up but we're telling other women to shut up too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, it's not a crime to to have the thought, have the thing, right. and then but you have to just stay with it and move past it. Like, do yeah. you, does it matter? Do you yes. care? What difference does it make? You know, like mm-hmm. let that go. And would you yeah. feel the same way if it was a man? And why is it actually different? And totally is it? And yeah, yeah. something that is new, not unique to women, although we can talk about that a little bit, is anxiety. And mine definitely came with motherhood. I wanted to read something that you wrote on page 122. This isn't specifically about anxiety, but this is what anxiety feels like for me. Joan is talking to Alice and they're working some things out about Big Sky. And Joan says, some people say they do work inside their own brain. They teach themselves such things, but I could do no work inside my own brain. The interior of my brain was a snake pit. I couldn't survive in there alone. And I'm like, oh boy, especially when I think about my kids and all that could go wrong with them. And I'm like, it is a snake pit. I wondered, this is not related to animal, but it was just something that made me think of it. Do you think that a lot of American mother's martyrdom syndrome, like they're they're, they're needing to be martyrs, Mm -hmm. is either masking or conflated with fear and anxiety? Like, staying home or being with your kids all the time or not letting them do certain things and uh, it could be that and also of course it's got to be part of the unfair burden that we put on mothers but yeah but I do wonder how much of it I know for me that is yeah and and the things I've given up in my life for my children have been out of my own fear and anxiety and not because I think like I need to be, you know, I need to be doing this. This is me. It's a hundred percent. I'm this, I feel the same way. And I think that's a huge, I mean, I took my daughter on every single stop for my book tour with me when she was four and it was hell, but the greater hell would have been leaving her Ugh. like not seeing and not cause it's not like I didn't want like, it's not like I want to, I don't want to sit there and play with like, you know, calico <laughs> cats and whatever the fuck, but right. like, you know, no. but I just couldn't exist in a hotel room thinking, where is she right now? What if I can't get in touch with her whenever I, I need to be able to like, you know, visualize where she is at every moment. So yeah, and, and that's, it's one reason I, I haven't like hired someone to help us really because I'm, I'm too, when yeah. my husband's with her, I'm like, I'm calling every five seconds. So yeah, I totally, of course I have some friends who are like, what? Oh my God. They yeah. just like, they like put it right. out of their head. Like sure. the second they drop their, which is great. Yeah. I yes, aspire great. to that. But... Uh, this is a perfect example. Like 
I have children. I, this, I just, I don't understand this. Earlier you said that a lot of people have had a lot of bad things happen to them and this book is for yeah. them, but it's also for people who haven't so they yes. can understand it. And like, I'm like your friends who are like, I don't yeah. get this, but, but, but I love hearing this because, and this discussion, because to your point now I, that helps me understand. I mean, I'm a person, if I don't get it, I want to learn more about it. And that yeah. is so interesting to me because I didn't fully appreciate that that's what it was the snake pit. Now yes. I get it, what you yes. guys are saying. Oh, and good. so, yeah. no, completely. <laughs> I'm glad it connected. So, yeah. Yes. And so you are, this book does do that, even if it's not something that was readily relatable to me. And I wonder if we could start naming that, right? Like it's yeah. not, it, instead of pretending like, oh, the best thing for, I yeah. mean, uh, also, I, I had never been in a hospital in my life and, and pers- like I've visited, but I've never been there. Mm-hmm. And, giving birth like potentially having any sort of needles in me and like terrified me and I wish I had been able to say that instead of oh I want to have a natural childbirth like mm-hmm. I mean that's what I wanted but it was because of my fear and my anxiety right. around other things and I think right. if we could name those things and it would e- be easier to take down the the curtain of like this is this is what a mother's supposed to do. No, this is what I'm going to do because I'm freaking out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That exactly that would, that would help. This is so random, but Jay Z <laughs> was just talking about something like this on. Have you ever watched The Shop? Which is essentially yeah. No, I haven't, but I want to. Okay, it's a, mm-hmm. some episodes are better than others. It's very sort of similar to like a different kind of sex in the city. It's just like Uh different guys sitting around talking about certain things and they're all different perspectives. Anyway, he was saying how he learned to swim when his daughter Blue was like mobile. He wasn't like, oh, it would be fun to swim together Mm -hmm. or hey, it's time for me to learn. He gave, told the story and so viscerally was like, I just had a vision that if she fell in the water and I was there and I could not save her, I couldn't live. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, that was purely, purely motivated. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although he didn't have to feel bad about it or pretend he's some great father just because he did that. But, you know, that is the difference between men and women. Not always the way we feel, but the way we're allowed to say it or not mm-hmm. say it or express it. Wait, I gotta ask this question because I gotta tell you, Big Sky really fucked me up. I mean, that was, oh God, I was so like in love with the whole thing, but also not, it's not good. So, and it's not working for Joan. So that's definitely not good. But you write it with such, and also the way she's, Joan is telling it to Alice. She's like, this is a warped fairy tale. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I love it. Keep going. That was how I felt. But you show Joan in love in so many different ways. There's Mm -hmm. sort of the frivolous and immature manipulation with Jack, the passion Mm -hmm. and consuming love with Big Sky, the security and power with Vic, casual and tender with River. And I don't know, I guess I I just appreciated seeing all of those things because also one person in love is not one person. You know, it's a, a relationship has its own chemistry and yeah. as its own you know it becomes something else its own and character yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and I can totally. I've been in really bad relationships and I've been in healthy relationships and I'm by and large the same person so mm-hmm. but anyway mm-hmm. 
I really just wanted to know, do you think there's some alternate universe where Joan and Big Sky are together for real, (laughs) raising their blended family, living happily ever after? I do. You know, I really do. Even though Joan like kind of gives up on men in some sense towards the end, I don't think that part, that hope ever goes away. And I don't want it to. I don't think it should. Like, I don't think that becoming a a healthy person means letting go of everything unhealthy in your life. It's like, even when I'm eating healthy, it's like three weeks of having like a cheeseburger. It's just like, whoa, it's fun to have a cheeseburger and a glass of wine, you know? And it's like, it's just, it's nice to have balance. And I think balance can sometimes, sometimes look like, you know, not, not, like we're not living on on the clouds you know we're like living in this gritty place and and it's okay if we get into some weird situations sometimes right yeah if you can have a healthy relationship with the thing exactly right it doesn't matter that the thing once wasn't good or or doing it every single day is not good but you can still have a healthy relationship with it right which also reminds me of Alice. And though their relationship is far from perfect, Alice brings out strength and clarity in Joan, especially in opposition to the men, where mm-hmm. Joan has lost herself. Mm-hmm. And again, this is that exchange on page 133. Joan says, you're making me see the rot on a moment I thought was golden. Page 135, Joan says of Alice, she didn't look at me like I was disgusting, and for the first time, I didn't feel that I was. And then on 137, after Joan leaves Alice, she says, when I got back to the house that evening, I felt alive. All my life, I'd avoided women. They complicated my time. I'd learned how to do everything alone, how to use men for what I needed, and whenever another woman was around, there would invariably be jealousy, or I was bound to act differently to be less sexual and exacting. But with Alice, it was the opposite. I felt the need to turn myself up more. And mm, I, I love that. I know. And I do. I, I think Alice sees Joan. And mm-hmm. Joan is ready for it. And Alice reflects back to her something that's more true without judgment. And I think that can be even more powerful. It's, it's often talked about in romantic love. But I think it be, can be more powerful with you know, another woman. Do, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. you think that there's something else that comes or something that different that happens when a woman turns herself up for another woman versus a man? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's going to be so much more invigorating in a sense. The, the platonic aspect of it, if it's heterosexual women, it takes away that extra, the, the sensual and the sexual, which is its own really amazing engine and, and is great for for you know for other kinds of relationships when that's gone and you just have this other human you're taking away all that other stuff and you're wanting them to think that you're smart and interesting i think that the the exchange that happens there it can be so pure the same way that a purely sexual exchange can be so pure there's something when sex is removed completely that can make a a relationship such a pure thing that feels Mm -hmm. like because sometimes there's something about non-platonic relationships where you kind of wake up in the morning like and you're like what did I do you know even if you haven't done anything but you never really feel that way when they're when you know and maybe this is Catholic Italian guilt this stuff coming up for me but there is something to that it's like you know there's just like a a cleanness to it that feels so so safe Mm, because sexuality can be so fraught 
Yes. Oh, yes. And you also remove the likelihood that the person seeing something in you isn't looking for something specifically, right? In romantic relationships, you're always projecting on each other. And that's a, I mean, that's a human thing, but it's a little bit more removed without that. Like, are we going to go to bed or is this going to be a thing? Right. Yeah, exactly. We're going to get into something much lighter now. (laughs) On on page 127 about Alice, where she says, she's a Pisces like you. Now, this kind of reference gives us so much joy because we love to casually reference astrology. (laughs) You know, I think it's like men are obsessed with like the mafia, something they have no ownership over, no, really probably no experience with. Well, that's how astrology is for us. And that that also made me happy because my daughter is a Pisces. Oh, cool. And I happen to know that you are a Capricorn because I was... at your three women launch party and you and Katie Couric are both Capricorns and you had a little sidebar for yourselves about how how Capricorns are the best. (laughs) Sorry. Certainly the hardest working, that's for sure. (laughs) And I am a Capricorn moon. I don't know if you know uh, much about I don't know anything about the moon. Okay, okay. So your moon sign is essentially like what your inner life is guided okay. by and so okay. mine is a Capricorn so I and, wh- and what's your what's your Aries answer? is my Aries. sun okay. sign yes yeah. okay. my, my red and I'm Leo so you've got okay. two fire signs yeah. here cool. Yes. okay cool um cool. so wait what is with the casual references to astrology my husband's a Gemini so is my oh dad. mine too so is, they're crazy yeah yeah thank you I have they're a son nuts. I have a Gemini son they're she has my, to help me with him it's like really that's the thing you have to have other Geminis help you because they like understand if you tell another Gemini something a Gemini did they're like oh that's just because of this and you're like oh and then it kind of makes sense and you're like oh okay but they're like a whole other breed of human Mm -hmm. being like you really need to like deal with them yes Yes. it's wild it's taken me years years to crack my husband's code It's oh, crazy, but there, so but that's the thing. And then the second it you've cracked it, it becomes a different code. Yes. Oh, uh, with the Gemini. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's every I mean. day. So yeah. changing. Every minute. Yeah. So changing. Oh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Luckily, yeah. Corinne likes a challenge, so it's okay. <laughs> but, but with so my eleven-year-old, I'm like, I can't take it. I can't. Eleven-year-old Gemini. Gemini boy. Oh, yeah. boy. I know. Who's oh, oh, tough, also man. got some of my, uh, pa- I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's a special case. You special. should find out your moon sign. There are so many, when you do your well, chart. How do I, what do I do? You do have I... to, you have to put it all into a. Oh, I can't just. It's not going to. Okay, got you it. Have your birth date, time, and location. And then you got put it. it into, Cafe Astrology has a great one. But anyway, there's so many houses and so many different things. But for me, the moon sign is really something worth finding out because it yeah. is your inner life kate is both sun and moon the same so she's a leo have... inside oh, wow. and out so wow. I, and which i figured yeah <laughs> I, mean, I just it tracks. i feel so leo that yes. i'm like oh yeah that makes sense but see yeah. I, all the times i was like this is so un aries of me what is mm-hmm. going on and mm-hmm. aries and capricorn are very different and so, like, my inner and outer, like, selves are so always in conflict. And I'm like, now everything makes sense. 
Wow. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. It does help. I need it to do that. Help. I'm going to do that as soon as we get off the call. Yes. So really the excited. rising sign is the, another big one. The three are okay. sun sign, which is like your outer, right, your normal life. Your moon sign is your interior life. And then rising sign is often how you present to the world. So someone might think, yeah. hey, are you a, you know, so-and-so? And right. Or you made a good point to me, Corinne, that if someone's an introvert, their rising sign doesn't really matter that much. It's It's the moon sign. They're not presenting like as much anyway because they keep so, so the moon sign's more important because they're they're very internal, you know, so. You're right. And for an extrovert, you're right, Kate, your your rising sign is, is a thing. So. And on mine, that even tracks. I'm a leader on that. So. I just think it's so real. Yes. Thank you. It's so real. <laughs> so I mean, real. it really, it's just like, uh, you know, and I always feel silly because there's, there's people who, you know, are totally believe in it. And there's people, I think the world can really be um, separated into people who believe in astrology and those who don't. Yes. That's really the separation. Forget, you know, gender. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. Yes. We are totally with you. <laughs> so we're going to shift gears a little. Yeah, more fun cool. stuff. Adaptation awesome. talk. We know you're busy and it's probably too soon to talk about an adaptation of Animal, but Corinne and I were dying to share some of our casting dream for Love Joan. That. <gasps> yeah, so we've just each picked one. I mean, we could do this all day, but oh my um, gosh, Corinne's, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, Corinne's dream, Joan, is Scarlett Johansson. Okay, okay. And mine like is Vanessa Kirby. Did you see Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of Woman? I actually That's- just talked to Vanessa the other day yeah she's fantastic and we talked about animal I mean you know just like not you know but anyway she would be at the top of my list as well another one I I love is Riley Keough she's a little bit young oh yeah yeah. but did you see the girlfriend experience with her her season I did she's fantastic yeah I'm gonna write her down because I forgot that's that's a really good Call. Yeah, that yeah. is a good one. I love one. that. She yeah. is great. And she's going to be in Daisy Jones. Daisy the Jones. Six. That's right. In the six. That adaptation. Um, yes. So she's great. But there's, I mean, Emily Blunt. There's so many you could. Oh, yeah. Joan. I like her a lot too. Yeah. And she went dark. Yeah. She can pull it off. Yeah. Even though she's funny sure. as hell too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> anyway, totally. we also know you're, you're gearing up production for the Showtime adaptation of Three mm-hmm. Women. And that we've we've learned your husband was part of the writer's room. Maggie Mm -hmm. was a consultant. Mm -hmm. And you're in talks with actors that you admire. Uh And three women showrunner Laura Eason. Is that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Has has also said that you two have a profoundly deep collaboration, which is wonderful. We do. We do. She's fantastic. Oh, we love that. And the LA Times article, it said that in the show, Tadeo will feature more prominently a fourth woman, essentially. What? does that mean can you tell us anything about that yeah so one of the important things in taking the book into and telling it in a visual way one of the questions not one of the questions almost all the questions I got on three women were how did you get the women to talk how did you meet them it was about the process and you know I and and the other thing is that when everyone wants to know why these three and etc the reason is because of the relationships that I had with them and how I found them and what was I what I was going through in my own life at the time I always really get grossed out by the writer character in a movie when like whenever it looks like this you know like oh (laughs) 
I knew I didn't want that. I really felt strongly that there needed to be a link between the stories. And and producers I met with were like, oh, it should be the trial. And then, you know, Sloane's husband can be the lawyer. There were all these, like, ideas that were just so, like, silly. And then also the idea of just doing three different stories kind of, you know, without a link between them also felt it wasn't true to to the story itself so it is the basically the me character and and her own journey as she's finding the women and you know we fictionalize some of the things too it's not like a memoir it's about this fourth person who created the book well that's that's gonna be great so what is up next for you i know i think you're working on a memoir on grief yeah that's my next nonfiction, and i i might squeeze another another novel in before oh, that what that's I amazing might. I was thinking maybe uh, okay <laughs> I was thinking uh, well this novel is incredible and I know people are going to want more nonfiction from you but can we get more fiction too please apparently wow. your I wish want. is my <laughs> Look at that. yeah I mean I just you know I have a lot of anxiety and and writing through it is really the best medicine for it yeah. I've tried I've tried other stuff and it doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> tried all the things. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love that you said it's not writing isn't a catharsis for you and right. I'm paraphrasing but but that it does do something it does channel the energy, right? Yeah, totally. It's not like I write and then I'm like, oh, well, oh I right. got that out of myself. <laughs> That's all on the page and yeah. out of my psycho brain. No, not at all. But it does It does work the mouse on a wheel of it. Instead of doing this in my head, I've taken a little bit of the edge off. I, yeah. I tell oh, I Kate, like yeah, and I tell Kate, I feel like sometimes, you know, how, like busyness is a, is a sickness and people will overextend themselves so that yeah. they don't have to. But... Also, sometimes when your brain is the equivalent of like a a hundred pound dog that needs four hours of walks a day, that's my brain. And so I need to to be doing, you know, writing and and everything else that I'm doing to just to take that edge off, like you said. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Makes oh, me wow. a, a little bit more. You've got functional. us excited now. There is more coming. <laughs> I know. That is exciting. And and how about we always ask, what are you reading or you're into shows you're watching? I am. I haven't been. I need to watch more shows. I like. I've been trying to watch Mare of East Town, but I haven't. Um, haven't. I'm only on the second or third. I need to check. Reading wise, though, I have them all. I have a big. I finally have my own TBR stack. Usually I don't have stacks. I have, I'm reading, no one is talking about this, Patricia Lockwood. Patricia Lockwood, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin Barry, that old country music, and, and there's a bunch of others. Oh, this is something I really would like to highlight because she <laughs> is a fantastic poet. To get young women into poetry, Catherine Cohen is like just amazing. And what's She's the title? God, I feel, like, oh, I Feel Modern well, Tonight? God, I feel modern tonight. Yeah, it's really oh. great. Well, thank you so guys, much for joining us. This has us. been so great. You guys are so cool. You just are so smart and cool to talk to. Well, so this oh, has been really wow. great. Wow. Thank well, you. Thank you. No, we have been really yeah. excited to do this. And Same everyone here. is super impressed, except for my mother, as you can. <laughs> <God. laughs> Mine, oh, no. who has never 
never listen to an episode of the podcast. So <laughs> back to our mommy issues later. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh, Yes. <laughs> Whatever. But we have been so looking forward to this, and it, it we just, we appreciate it so much. The oh, my animal gosh. Thank has, you so much. Has our brains just going. Oh, my gosh, going. on fire. <laughs> I was so immersed in your book. Of course, this last chapter I told Corinne, I had to read it again. That it happy basketball. ending of Jones that no one wants yes. to talk about. <laughs> I'm like, it's dark, but it's so earned at the end. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you so much so. for thinking that. And oh. Thank you for this. This has been really amazing. Thank you. We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.